teaching series, which is entitled The Father Heart of God. And if you've joined us over the last couple of weeks, you'll know the journey that we've taken. Two weeks ago, uh, Ping Sunday, uh, as I like to refer to it as, uh, we heard about who God is. And on Ping Sunday, we discovered that our God is a God who is abounding in love. He's abounding in love. And then last weekend, from the comfort of our own home, uh, Kay shared the message with us uh, all about what God does. And last weekend, we discovered that God is a God who lavishes, lavishes his grace upon us. He withholds nothing in lavishing that grace. And today, what we're going to hear is who God says we are in response to what he does and who he is. And when it comes to understanding even more our relationship with God and the level of intimacy that we can have with God, our theme this morning, I think, is absolutely foundational. What we're going to discover this morning is this, is you are an adopted son or an adopted daughter of a heavenly father. This morning, you're going to hear that you are not a slave. This morning, we're going to remind ourselves that if we've come to faith in Christ, then we are children of God. This morning, we're going to discover that we are heirs, if we've come to faith in Christ, of an incredible, of a great inheritance. All of that sounds really good, doesn't it? But I wonder, even as I say that, how many of us have experienced those things as our reality as we've come to faith. I wonder for you which metaphor you, you best or most relate to God with. Now, for most of us, the answer to that question is probably as a father. Father is probably the most used and yet the least understood and the least experienced ways that many Christians relate to God. The least understood and the least experienced, even though it's the most used phrase as we encounter God. Now, it might be encouraging to you this morning to know that this was not a new problem. In fact, 2,000 years ago, as we discover from our scripture reading, the Apostle Paul was trying to challenge the same problem, the same issue in the churches that he was writing to, particularly to the church in Galatia. And these Christians, we discover, were living like slaves, even though they'd already discovered freedom in Christ. They were staying in a prison cell even though there was a wide open door, there were no shackles holding them, and there was a neon sign lit up saying, exit here, with Christ beckoning them to come out of the prison. And yet they stayed in the prison cell. These Christians in, in Galatia were doing what many of us do in our walk of faith. They were working hard to earn their salvation even though Christ had given them their salvation as a free gift of his grace through their faith in him. Paul's words in Galatians, uh, as you read the whole letter, are an encouragement. They're an encouragement to a lifestyle of holiness. But they're also a challenge. They're a challenge not to live our Christian lives or our walk of faith in our own strength, but instead to live with the empowering grace that God gives to us. Paul specifically challenges these early Christians, and I sense God would challenge us to do as, uh, as well today, is to allow the Holy Spirit to be so resident in our hearts and in our lives that we're able to cry out with God and sometimes allow God to cry out for us, Abba, Daddy, Father. That's Paul's desire for this early church and I sense it's God's desire for us today. That's the invitation. It's an invitation to intimacy, not to rules but to relationship, not to a relationship of slavery but to a relationship of freedom. The invitation for us today is not to come to a God who wants to hold us at arm's length, who is utterly disinterested into us, a kind of finger-wagging type Father God, 
But instead, the invitation is to come to an up-close, personal, I love you so much, arms stretched out wide kind of relationship where we can call God our Father, Daddy. This is Quality Street, not Coronation Street. Think for a moment uh, about the last time you saw Coronation Street. Now, there's no shame here this morning. God's grace is enough, even for you, if you've seen Coronation Street. Of course, some of us are going, I'd never, uh, I'd never admit to that in public, or just maybe today you're too highbrow, and if you are, you probably listen to Radio 4. The Archers is no different to Coronation Street, okay? Let's just be clear about that. But when you think about it, I've noticed something of a recurring theme in soap operas, and it's this. In Coronation Street, and even worse, the Archers, actually, if a person is seen to be a Christian or they're shown to be praying, it normally infers that that individual is some kind of a religious maniac who's to be avoided at all cost. Or if we see them praying, it's a sign that here's an individual who is using the last possible resort they could ever use in their faith, and that's to pray a very long-distant, very uh, impersonal prayer to God. I just wonder where are all the normal Christians like you and me, normal, uh, in the soap operas? They just don't seem to exist. You see, the soap opera God, it seems to me, is a God who's always far away. The soap opera God is the God who, when we pray to him, somehow it's about persuading him, cajoling him to deal with our tricky situation that we might be facing in life. The kind of God I've come to call the Coronation Street type God. He's the God of the soap opera. He's distant. He's aloof. He's the God who just wants to beat people with a big stick and can only be contacted in a dire emergency. But I wonder if that's how some of us actually relate to God. But what we discover in our scripture reading this morning, and I will read it in a second, don't worry, is that actually that couldn't be further from the truth of what scripture describes. In fact, that's a gross depiction of who God is. Now, of course, some of us have come to the place of believing God is like that because we've held to the common misconception that the God of the Old Testament is somehow very different from the picture of God we see in the New Testament. For many people, maybe some of us today, the God of the Old Testament is exactly that. He's a Coronation Street type God who's transcendent, whose arms lengthened, who arms length-ish, that's not easy to say, who's disinterested, who is a creator, yes, but he's a stern lawgiver who's only really interested in tripping people up and punishing them for their sins. As we open up our scriptures, I want you to have the picture that that's what the church in Galatia was struggling with and they were wrestling with. They were encountering God as a God who was more concerned about rules than he was about relationship with them. They thought they had to earn something even though the thing they were trying to earn had already been given. There's a great theologian, um, a modern theologian by the name of Madonna, the pop singer, and she says it perfectly, and this is really profound. She says this, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. I wonder if we can relate to that. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre, and that's what's always pushing me. And then this is the profound bit, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. Even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I've become somebody. And at the very beginning of Galatians chapter 3, which is where we're going to begin in a minute, we'll begin at the end of Galatians chapter 3, but at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul actually calls the church in Galatia uh, foolish for subscribing to that way of living. 
In fact, you can interpret the word he uses as foolish, as crazy for believing that this idea was true, that I have to earn the ability to become somebody. In fact, Jesus already says you are somebody. Now, I wonder as you think back about your own journey of faith, whether you can say, do you know, I have been that crazy fool in my walk of faith where even though I've had this amazing gift of God's grace, I've still been trying to earn it. You see, the God of the Old Testament actually is not a Coronation Street type God at all. The God of the Old Testament is often described as and is the father of his people. He's a daddy who absolutely cherishes those who have come to know him. Even those really tricky stories in the Bible that sometimes as Christians we try to avoid reading because we think they're too difficult. You know those ones that describe God as being somehow harsh? In fact, God only gets to that point of being harsh, although I think actually it's discipline and you discipline the ones you love if you really love them. Even after he's got to that point, God has given his people multiple chances to do life differently. It's been grace after grace after grace, and then eventually he gets to the point where he disciplines the one he loves. Now, that's not a description of a Coronation Street kind of God at all. Jeremiah, Isaiah, the Psalms, they all speak of God being the father of orphans and the protector of widows. In fact, you will find in the Old Testament examples of when people have actually spoken out and prayed to God and addressed him as father in their prayers. Jeremiah says, O Lord, you are our Father, we're the clay, you are the potter, we are all the work of your hand. So if this God that we're talking about this morning is not a Coronation Street type God at all, then who is he? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in our reading this morning. And all that Paul is telling us this morning is exactly what he has already discovered in his own walk and his own journey with Jesus. So if you want a true picture of who God is, avoid Coronation Street and head down Quality Street. It's the only other kind of street I could think of that works, so I'm sorry about the cheesy link. But Paul's message this morning is this. You can know who you are when you know whose you are. You can know who you are when you know whose you are. And what we'll learn this morning is you are already somebody if you've come to faith in Christ. You don't need to earn the right to be somebody. Galatians chapter 3, I'm going to read from verse uh, 26, and you'll discover these words say something very similar to what we've already heard from Romans chapter 8. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to the guardians and the trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Now, here comes the Christmas verse. Are you ready? But... When the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you're his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but you're God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also 
an heir. Our Father who art in heaven is how many of us will begin our prayers. Many of us will speak of our loving Heavenly Father, will speak of Father God, who is very much part of the Trinity, which includes Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Many of us will speak of ourselves as being the children of God, which by implication suggests that our God is a Father to us. And it's absolutely right that we should address God in that kind of a way. But more than that, Jesus actually invites us to relate to God based on his relationship with God. What's really interesting to me is when you look at Jesus' own terminology as he related to his father, he would nearly always speak out words addressing his father, his God, as being father. That's the most frequent term which pours from the lips of Jesus. Jesus constantly uses the word Abba. Now, in doing so, he's not referring to a Swedish pop group, but he's referring to his dad. He's referring to his daddy, to his papa, to his father. Now, that metaphor, father, is undoubtedly there in the Old Testament, but actually, you can count on on your fingers how many times God is explicitly referred to as father in the Old Testament. And yet, when you get to the few hundred pages of the New Testament, God is directly named as Abba or Father 137 times, and primarily that address comes from the lips of Jesus. Now, we can be sure if Jesus was referring to his Father as Abba, as Daddy, then there's something really significant for us that we need to pay attention to. There's no doubt that Jesus had this intimate relationship with his Abba, with his Daddy, with his Father. At his baptism, do you remember, his father actually said to him, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. But perhaps what's even more striking than the idea that Jesus had an intimate relationship with his father is the idea that actually Jesus invites his disciples, which includes you and I, to refer to our heavenly father as daddy, as Abba as well. Jesus invited his disciples and therefore he invites us too to have this close, this intimate relationship with God, which is unlike any other relationship that any one of us will ever have experienced before. Now the Apostle Paul had clearly grasped this. We see this in Galatians 3 and 4. This is one of several times when Paul in his letters to the New Testament church Um, said to them that you should be relating to God as Abba, as Daddy. Why? Because when you come to faith in Christ, Paul says, you become an adopted son, you become an adopted daughter of God into the same family as Jesus. Can I say that again so it really has an impact? The moment you come to faith in Jesus, you become a member of the same family that Jesus is part of as an adopted son or daughter. Jesus is, in effect, if you've trusted Christ today, your older brother. Paul drives this point home over and over again. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. We heard them earlier. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit brought about your adoption to sonship, or you can say daughtership. And by him we cry out, Abba, we cry out, Father. And then there's verse 6 from Galatians chapter 4. Again, we've heard it. Because you are children... God sent the spirit of his son into our heart, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So we've got the Old Testament Jesus and the New Testament telling us that we can relate to God as Abba or as Daddy. 
All three of these are witnessing to this idea that we can have this intimate father-son, father-daughter, father-child relationship with the creator of the universe. Now, there's a theological word. If you've got a pen, write it down, and I'll spell it for you. There's a theological word that describes all of this, and I haven't used it for a while. It's the word, wow, W-O-W, if you want to write it down. Wow. But I wonder if we can be honest with ourselves for a moment. You know, a couple of Sundays ago, we were speaking about the idea that some of us, because of our human experience of being fathered, are able to recognize, do you know what, that experience has done me no favors whatsoever in being able to relate to God as daddy, as Abba, as, as father, and that's understandable. But I do want to say to us really clearly today that if that's been our experience, and I know how difficult it is, it doesn't change God's invitation to you today. You don't need to filter this message because of your challenging circumstances. In fact, you probably need to hear this invitation even more loudly than others of us. Because the point Paul is making here in Galatians is having a relationship, an intimate relationship with daddy as Abba's father is already the defining thing of your relationship with God when you've come to a personal faith in Christ. I shared a picture uh, earlier on that, that I had when I was preparing this this week, and it was this picture of somebody stood inside a prison cell. And they were not shackled in that prison cell. The doors were wide open. There was that neon sign saying, exit here. And actually outside of the prison cell were the wide open arms of our Heavenly Father just saying, run into these arms. You're no longer a slave. Would you come and enjoy the freedom that I've secured for you in Jesus Christ? And there's a challenge. And I've been here and I've done it myself. We can live in a prison when the door is wide open and Jesus says to us, you don't need to say, stay there. I've made a way for you. Would you run into the arms of your heavenly father. You've been adopted into a family. Please don't live anymore as a slave. Do you know today, if you've come to faith in Christ, you are fabulously wealthy because everything that Jesus has accomplished has been transferred to you. The Bible says, we heard it earlier, that you share all of the glory that belongs to Christ if you've come to faith in Christ. If you've come to faith in Christ today, then you are an heir of all of God's blessings, which are eternal. It means that you're loved by the Father just as Jesus was loved by the Father. It means today that you've got nothing that you need to prove to God. I wonder if you can see this subtle difference. It's not, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. It's, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. And I know for too long in my own walk with Jesus, I lived with the former and not with the latter. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Lord, I want to earn this salvation. But the message today is not that, it's the subtle difference. I'm accepted, therefore I obey. I live the way you want me to live. You know, that difference is so subtle, but actually when you grasp it, it's life-changing. Maybe for you today, your relationship with your father has been tough. Maybe it's even been non-existent. It's so interesting, isn't it, that that reality would have been true back in the days of Jesus, when actually fathers assumed they had a legal right to beat their children and to, to beat their wives. And it leaves me with the question, well, if that was the reality back then, as it sometimes is sadly today, why would Jesus teach so strongly, why would Jesus teach so incessantly about his father and about our father in heaven? 
Why would Jesus choose a metaphor that could be rendered useless by the human sin of those who are supposed to care for us? Why would Jesus risk using it? Why would the Apostle Paul in our our reading drive this metaphor home? And I think the reason is because this metaphor speaks most powerfully and the best metaphor actually of who we are in Christ. Paul knew that this father-child metaphor best describes our relationship with God. There is no better picture that Jesus could have chosen, no better example that Jesus could have used than to describe his own relationship with his father and to encourage others to enjoy that in the same way. Maybe for some of us, in the very best moments of being parented by our earthly fathers, we've experienced something of what it's like to be parented by our heavenly father. You know, I get a sense that Jesus and the Apostle Paul today just want to introduce us or maybe reintroduce us to his father, to your father, to our father, in order that we might be whole, that we might be free and full of life, both spiritually and emotionally. And perhaps the challenge for some of us today, and this includes myself, by the way, we need to actually give God the benefit of the doubt and say that no matter how good your heavenly father was, God is much better as a heavenly father. In fact, our heavenly father, our heavenly daddy, is the perfect daddy. And no matter how bad your father was, that doesn't mean that speaking of God as a heavenly father is an altogether bad idea. I get it's difficult, but it's not altogether bad. And I just wonder for you, do you feel like a child of a heavenly father? Are you feeling the loving, intimate embrace of God today? I want to encourage you to step out of the cell and to run into his outstretched arms. So Paul in our text today says that You're a child of God, but he doesn't only say that. I mean, that's amazing in and of itself, but he also says that you are an heir. You're somebody who's going to inherit the whole shebang, is what I'd have written if I was Paul. Thankfully, he didn't write that. But verse 7, he puts it much more eloquently. He says, you are no longer slaves, but you're God's children. And since you are his children, he has made you also heirs. That's worth another wow, isn't it? That you this morning, if you've come to faith in Christ, are an heir to the kingdom of God. That you're a a co-heir, a joint heir with Jesus Christ of all that God has for you as being part of his family. There's a challenge for some of us this morning to claim for the first time or to maybe reclaim again our born-again birthright to know, to enjoy, to love, to experience Abba Daddy as our Heavenly Father. And Paul, I think, in our text shows us this very good reason why Jesus takes the risk of encouraging us to relate to his father as father, despite all the bad fathers that must have existed then and still exist today. You see, the role of fathers in ancient Israel actually helps us understand something crucial about God, which Paul knew and understood in his day. Paul says that we're heirs to the kingdom of God, and like it or not, the Bible was written at a time when it was sons and not daughters who inherited their father's kingdom. So speaking of God as a father helps get through this idea that we inherit something from God by being his sons, but also, you'll be glad to hear, by being his daughters. You see, our Bible reading in chapter 3, verse 28, made it very clear that it's not only men and boys who are heirs, but also it's women and girls who also fully inherit God's kingdom. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. 
All are one in Christ Jesus, it says, and all are heirs to the promise. This is mind-blowing stuff if you can get your head around it. But what if you're feeling like you're abandoned? What if today you feel like you're in a desert? What if today things really aren't feeling good for you in your relationship with God? What if today you're not experiencing the passion and the vigor that you once had for Christ and yet you're still a Christian? Of course you are still today. What do you do? Well, I want to suggest to us as I draw things towards a close that you might have a challenge and it'll either be with your head or it will be with your heart or it will be with both. And we see that in our text this morning. You see, firstly, what Paul says to us is we can claim in our heads with confidence the thing that Jesus has done for us. Verses 4 and 5 of Galatians chapter 4. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. What Paul is saying there is we can tell ourselves and we can know with absolute assurance in our heads that we are a child of a heavenly father. We can know for sure because of that act of sending Jesus to be born into the world, to live, to die, uh, to be resurrected for us, that God loves us, whether or not we feel that in this moment right here, right now. That's verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5 are maybe an issue of the head. But then we get to verse 6, and verse 6 is not so much a a know it in your head and claim it for yourself thing, as much it is an experience it in your heart kind of a gift that only God can give. Verse 6, God sent the Spirit into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out Abba, Father. You know, this is really powerful stuff if we can grasp it. There is something that we can do in our heads. We can try and convince ourselves in a sense, or we can have that knowledge that Jesus came to forgive us of our sins when he died on the cross. But Paul is saying too, there's a heart thing here, which means we've got to be open to the work and to the move of the Holy Spirit. And if we're not open to the move of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, then we're never going to experience what it means to know that we are adopted sons and daughters of this heavenly Father. It's 12 inches or thereabouts from my head to my heart, and I'll tell you, it gets blocked often. And I can tell you so often I've lived in the the certain knowledge in my head, and it was very much head knowledge, that Christ had died for me. I was happy to proclaim that with my lips. And yet I can say to you, I didn't always believe that in my heart because something annoying was blocking that getting to my heart. And do you know what that was? Partly it was my own life experience, but partly it was because I wasn't willing to be open enough to the Spirit of God moving in my heart and giving me that assurance. God can do that for you today. He's interested in your head awesome but he's also interested in your heart there's a really great story about alexander the great and uh, this really um, makes my point so helpfully and the story goes that he had a general who was about to get married so uh, this general came to alexander and he said to him i really need some money to pay for the dowry and i need to pay for the wedding and alexander said to him sure how much do you need So the general asked for this enormous sum of money, and those watching were stunned by the amount that he was asking for. But instead of looking all downcrest and having a grimace on his face, apparently Alexander's face lit up and became radiant in that moment. And with incredible delight, he said to the man, of course, go to my treasurer and say to the treasurer how much you need, and he'll give you exactly what you've asked for. Now, of course, there were loads of people watching this moment, and afterwards they came to Alexander and they said to him, why did you give him so much money, and why were you so delighted to to do it for him? And Alexander responded with a smile and said this, 
This man has done me a great honor by asking for such a ridiculous sum. This man has done me a great honor by asking for such a ridiculous sum because by doing so, he shows that he believes that I am fabulously wealthy, but two, he shows that he knows I am incredibly generous. You can know who you are today if you know whose you are. And the God that we've come to know and love, our Heavenly Father, our Daddy, is lavishly gracious. He's abounding in love. And that's the God who you are invited into an intimate relationship with. And perhaps for you today, if your challenge is anything like me, you need to get beyond just head knowledge of that truth and allow the Spirit of God to so fill your heart that you come to experience that as your reality as well. Our God is not Coronation Street. Our God is loving, he's gracious, he's compassionate, he's abounding in love and full of mercy. Our God is not a finger-wagging God, he's a God who has arms that are open wide, if only we'll run into them. Our God is a God who says, if you come to faith in Christ, you become my son, my daughter, adopted in for my family. You have Jesus as your older brother. And that adoption means you're an heir, you're a co-heir with Jesus into an incredible promise. That's our God. And he invites us to call him Daddy, Abba Father. Let's pray together. I'm so aware this morning that many of us, probably most of us in the room, those watching online as well, have perhaps come to that place of head knowledge. That place where we've read in our scriptures probably multiple times that we can have a relationship with a Heavenly Father, that we're invited to relate to that Heavenly Father as Daddy, as Jesus related to him. But I'm really aware too that that's where some of us might have gotten ourselves stuck because of that blockage somewhere between our head and our hearts. Just real, really feel challenged this morning that we need to claim and in some cases for us reclaim the promise of the relationship that is ours and can be ours in Christ. But maybe today some of us need to claim and reclaim the inheritance which is ours, which is lavish and it's generous. Holy Spirit, we want to welcome you this morning to do a work in our hearts. To take some of that knowledge that we've got locked away in our heads and to allow that knowledge to walk out of the prison cell within which it might have been contained into the arms of a loving Heavenly Father who will enable us to experience by the amazing work of His Spirit the truth in our hearts that we know in our heads. just want to give a few moments of stillness and quiet just so that we can each, just before God, just Tell God personally, directly, maybe even refer to him this morning for the first time or again as Daddy, 
Abba is Heavenly Father, whatever language you're comfortable with. Maybe this morning say to God that Holy Spirit come, fill me so much that I walk deeper and more intimately into that relationship that I already have with you. Come Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, where our hearts have become hard, soften our hearts. Lord, may, may, where maybe we've wandered away from you, Lord, call us back. Where we've spent too long, perhaps even years, remaining in a prison cell with open doors, call us out. Thank you, Lord, that you call us this morning children, sons and daughters, adopted into your family. <laughs> wow. We thank you. Lord, my prayer for each one of us is that we will go into the rest of this week in the sure and certain head knowledge, but too in the heart experience. That because we know whose we are, we can know who we are. Sons and daughters of an awesome Heavenly Father. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to uh, sing a song together, which is a great um, contemporary hymn, which beautifully captures the love that our Father has for us, and it tells the story, too, of how he achieved that in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Shall we stand together as we sing? Mm -hmm.